This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Well, that and progressivism. The nation had scarcely regained its footing from the constitutional crisis created by FDR's hero, Woodrow Wilson. A man who, among other things, oversaw the internment of over 170,000 American citizens without probable cause, due process, or any sort of trial. In subsequent years, FDR would be following Wilson's blueprint. For now, as he took the oath of office, he considered the future and the past. The man in the morning coat and top hat sat rigid, his veins coursing with adrenaline. But his head had never been more clear. He, and more important, his nation, had been waiting for this moment for decades. The reins of the federal government had become dust-covered, untouched for too long. They had to be grabbed and the slack run out on behalf of the people. And if a whip had to be taken to the concentrated powers and the princes of property to give the forgotten man his fair shake, so be it. A wry smile crossed his lips. No longer would the weak use federal power for piddling projects in the face of crisis while labor lay dormant. No longer would the strong businessmen of the great trusts and their lapdog money changers be left to shape society to their selfish whims. The ship of state was his now for the steering toward a more social, equitable, and fair system. Planning was to be the operative word of the day. Rather than wasteful, oligarchic, haphazard individualism, could the politicians who surrounded him continue just to stand there, dazed and daunted, in the face of the rot of laissez-faire lunacy? No. The invisible hand was to be brought into the night of day. There was nothing to fear but fear itself, and he knew there was no one better equipped to fill the vacuum of incompetency and inaction than himself the newly elected President of the United States. Franklin Delano Roosevelt put his enamel cigarette holder to his lips, struck a match, and took a long drag. Thick smoke twirling in the cool air, like so many of the dreams he was about to fulfill. In that moment, he thought back to his days as a student at Groton and the much richer boys who never respected him. He thought of the last laugh he was sure to get over the bankers, the lawyers, the industrialists who had doubted his cunning and intellect at Harvard and then at Columbia Law. They thought they were powerful. Well, they will just have to watch. He thought of his late cousin Teddy and how it was time to finally make good on the bold progressive vision and vigorous executive power that he had championed. He thought about how Teddy had commanded the bully pulpit and breathed life into the American people. 
He thought about how through sheer personality and grit, he too could marshal the resources of the nation for more social ends, not to mention his own. He thought of Woodrow Wilson, who had appointed him as Assistant Secretary of the Navy, just as President William McKinley had done decades earlier for Teddy. He knew he could take Wilson's revolutionary but academic critique of America and mold it into something practical and concrete. He knew that he had not merely been pandering months earlier at the 1932 Democratic Convention when he said, Let us feel that in everything we do, there still lives with us, if not the body, the great, indomitable, unquenchable, progressive soul of our commander-in-chief, Woodrow Wilson. He thought back to his days at Hyde Park and his responsibility now to command a much larger estate. He thought about how he had been preparing for this day his entire life. Many more thoughts about the power and influence he could wield went through his head that day. And then, with one hand on the Bible and his right hand raised, FDR took the oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. Well, he could certainly defend his vision of the Constitution, which was redistribution of wealth, wildly expanded government, seizing power for the executive branch, and imprisoning U.S. citizens without cause, as he did with so many Japanese Americans. Evacuation. More than 100,000 men, women, and children, all of Japanese ancestry, removed from their homes in the Pacific Coast states to wartime communities established in out-of-the-way places. Their evacuation did not imply individual disloyalty, but was ordered to reduce a military hazard at a time when danger of invasion was great. Two-thirds of the evacuees are American citizens by right of birth. The rest are their Japanese-born parents and grandparents. The people are not under suspicion. They are not prisoners. They are not internees. They are merely dislocated people, the unwounded casualties of war. Roosevelt's philosophy was perhaps best articulated by the man who helped author his first inaugural address. This little-known Columbia University professor, who had helped form the inner intellectual sanctum of FDR's presidency, the Brain Trust, wrote of FDR... He believed that government not only could, but should achieve the subordination of private interests to collective interests, substitute cooperation for the mad scramble of selfish individualism. He had a profound feeling for the underdog, a real sense of the critical unbalance of economic life, a very keen awareness that political democracy could not exist side by side with economic plutocracy. The professor noted, that, as with other inglorious liberals in America, Roosevelt drew directly on the likes of Woodrow Wilson, Herbert Crawley, and Walter Lippmann, among a who's who of other progressives. But perhaps learning from progressive titans before him, FDR knew he had a branding problem. The term progressivism was waning in the 1920s. The years between Wilson and FDR had witnessed America's return to its small government roots under Presidents Harding and Coolidge. In foreign affairs, the horrors of World War I called into question the idealistic notion that mankind was becoming more humane and more perfect with each successive generation. 
Progressivism was also being identified rightly with German philosophy, which had become far less appealing once the Kaiser unleashed a calamitous war on the world. At home, the American economy was booming. So while Herbert Hoover had been technocratic, like George W. Bush preceding Barack Obama, he laid the groundwork for programs that Roosevelt would later expand in crisis. Progressivism still receded. All of this led to FDR's purposeful rebranding of progressive ideology. During the 1932 Democratic National Convention, he explained, Ours must be a party of liberal thought, of planned action, on enlightened international outlook, and on the greatest good to the greatest number of our citizens. FDR's new liberalism clearly betrayed the classic liberal thought of John Locke and Adam Smith, not to mention men who signed the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. It was a noble lie, a label cynically reappropriated to obscure the total break from the older meaning and tradition that progressive ideology represented. This new interpretation of American politics and governance that elevated the state above the individual, which had begun under Teddy Roosevelt and Wilson, accelerated under FDR. Rights no longer came from the individual, much less God, but directly from the government. This was everything that classical liberals had come to reject about the divine right of monarchs and the tendency of the state to trample individual liberty. FDR redefined progressives, the office of the presidency, and the United States Constitution. More on that in the next episode. Glenn Beck. This is the Glenn Beck Program. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com.